like 10 when we met at Lee University. Well, back then it was college, Lee College. That's how old that is. But I have remained friends with Brother Jeff for all these years and, and watched uh, how the Lord has used him. I've watched him go through some very trying sometimes, difficult times, and uh, seen the Lord bring him through those and how God has uh, used him. Now um, he's, he's got a book out. And he'll, I'll let him talk about that, but uh, our, our international overseer has actually endorsed this and said, I want you at every prayer conference, I want you at all of the uh, state meetings because our pastors need to hear this message. And uh, he brings a fresh word. He has a new nonprofit called Resurgence. And uh, we, uh, of all people, he asked me to be on the board. I don't know. Evidently, we didn't have too bad a relationship as roommates in college. And, uh, but I, I, I tell you what, I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do through him today. Would you just turn your ears and tune them in to what the Spirit of the Lord would say to you today? Amen. <clears throat> Brother Jeff, I'm thankful that you're my friend, and I love you, buddy. There's a, a video, and then he will come and share with us. Hi, everybody. My name is Jeff Wolf. I've spent more than two decades as a pastor and denominational leader. I'm here to be an encouragement to your pastor and to help equip you to be an encouragement to him as well. You may not realize this, but your pastor's well-being and success partially depend upon you. Listen to what the scripture says. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, God said, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's your pastor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul said, Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you may esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That is your pastor. He went on in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6 to say, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. That is your pastor. Because of the mandate in the mantle upon a pastor, the devil is specifically targeting pastors to discourage, distract, and wear them down. Research shows that 71% of pastors say they deal with burnout and depression. Pastors are under attack. We can't afford to leave a bleeding shepherd on the battlefield. More than five years ago, I became a casualty and left the ministry myself. When the Lord miraculously restored me, I made it my mission to be an ambassador of restoration to hurting pastors. I'm inviting you to join me in a revolution, a revolution of healing and restoration in the church. You know, I've always loved history. I've always been a war history buff. One of my favorite World War II stories is about a man by the name of Desmond Doss. He won the Medal of Honor for his bravery on Okinawa. Maybe you've seen the movie about him. He was a combat medic who was credited with saving the lives of 75 wounded soldiers single-handedly in that battle. In an interview, the late Doss said, after carrying each soldier to safety, he prayed, Lord, help me get one more. As I set out to be a spiritual medic to hurting pastors, I echo that prayer, Lord, help me 
get one more. You know, it's really hard to understand the weight that your pastor carries unless you've walked in his shoes. I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul characterizes being a pastor. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said this, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. He said, five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. He said, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. He said, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. He said, I've been cold and naked. But listen to how he ends this discourse. He said, beyond everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, your pastor probably has never gone through persecution to the severity of that of the Apostle Paul, but I promise you, he faces daily the pressure of his concern for the church that has been entrusted to his care by the Lord. In 2019, I wrote a book under that burden entitled Restored. It'll give you an insight into the burden your pastor carries. It's my personal story of breakdown and a roadmap to healing and restoration. Because of my candor and transparency, reading this book will probably be the closest you will ever come to knowing what it's like to walk in your pastor's shoes. I wrote it for pastors, but after getting feedback, I quickly realized that it teaches congregations how to support and encourage their pastor. It'll give you insight into the kinds of issues your pastor faces and teach you how to pray for him and his family. Restored will have you rooting for your pastor and reacting with disdain against the forces of darkness that are trying to break him down and destroy his life. Additionally, Restored will teach you how to turn your struggle into your mission, how to come back from a setback and how to get up again after you fail, and how to turn your own pain into your most powerful passion to make a difference. Restored is a journey of hope. Everyone can use a little hope in these last days. After the service today, I'm going to be out in the foyer. I'd love for you to come by and pick up a copy of Restored and talk with me about how you can join that revolution of restoration of the church. Thank you, Pastor, for giving me the opportunity and the honor to share my heart today. I speak blessing over you and your congregation in the name of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I am so thankful for the opportunity to be here and to be with my friend, Pastor Paul Dyer. Uh, we have been friends for a long time, and this uh, invitation today I don't take lightly. Uh, you know, when you travel for any length of time preaching, you get a feel for congregations when you walk in the room. You get a feel for the atmosphere, 
uh, for the uh, kind of ministry that these these folks are involved in, and you get a feel for how they respond to the word and how they respond to ministry. And I sense this morning that you folks are uh, you're ready for the word of the Lord. I sense that you are in tune with the Holy Spirit. I sense that. Uh, uh, that preaching here today is going to be easy, and that's a good thing. Now, I don't take that for granted, and I'll tell you why. It's hard for you to understand really what I'm getting at because you're here, and, and I'm, you're, I'm the outsider looking in. Uh, but I've been to churches recently. One church I was in recently, they sang two songs and handed me the microphone, uh, and, and they weren't real sure about the two songs they sang. So you, you should not take for granted what you have here at this church with this ministry team. Amen. <clears throat> if you don't mind, I'm just going to move all this paper out of the way because if I don't, it'll, they'll become like paper airplanes while I'm preaching. And they'll be all over the place. Thank you. So thank you, uh, Pastor Paul, for allowing me to be here. Thank you for being receptive uh, to the ministry and the word of the Lord this morning. I want you to stand just for a moment, if you would, please. Um, I told the folks upstairs that I didn't have a scripture for them to put on the board, but I do. It's Judges chapter 3, verse 31. If you can throw that up there in the NIV, if you have it, and turn your Bible there if you've got your Bible. If not, you can read it off the screen. Um, I feel like it's a God thing that I'm here this morning. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about the book later. The, the, the video is, the whole purpose of the video is so that I won't have to spend a lot of time on that, but I want to get right into the word. But uh, this book is a powerful tool that the Lord has been using as I go across the country sharing the word of the Lord. And I believe today somebody here needs restoration. Uh, you missed a good chance to say amen right there said, I believe that somebody here needs restoration. And I believe that before this day is over, you're, someone is going to experience the restoration that you so need. How many of you know somebody that needs healing? Not just their body, but in their heart and in their mind. Amen. We're going to believe God for that today, all right? Judges chapter 3, verse 31. Here's what the scripture said. After Ehud came Shamgar. Somebody say Shamgar. Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Say ox goad. And he too saved Israel. Does anybody here know what an ox goad is? Well, I'm going to tell you. Let's pray for a moment. Would you, would you just ask the Lord to touch me? Uh, my wife and I came home uh, almost two weeks ago from a long trip and got sick, and we've been dealing with it ever since. I'm just now feeling normal again. I need the Lord to touch me, to touch my voice and my chest. had a little bit of bronchitis, so if you'll pray for me, we're going to get into the Word, all right? Father, thank you for the privilege of being in the tabernacle today. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this pastor. I thank you for the presence of your Spirit that I sense in this room right now. And, Father, over the next few moments, as we break the bread of life, I pray that your anointing will touch me to speak the word of the Lord. May you give me the ability to speak what you've placed in my heart, touch our hearts that we might receive, our heads that we might comprehend, 
And today we believe that you're going to bring healing into the hearts and lives of those who have come broken into your presence. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Now, uh, because I have known your pastor so long and because I don't know that I've ever told him this, but um, I want to say this just to honor him. You know, there are people in your life uh, that come along that are important people that you will always be connected to people that you will look back at certain junctures of your life and be able to say that person made a difference in my life how many of you believe that And you've got people like that in your life uh, Paul Dyer is one of those people in me in my life that I can look back and say that person made a difference in my life. I don't know that I ever told you this, or did you even know this, but in 1993, after my freshman year of college, I went home for the summer and I got distracted, distracted from my purpose, distracted from my calling, and you know, I was young. I, was, I wasn't even 18 yet. I was 17 when I went to Lee College, um, early bloomer, I guess, and so in 1993, Paul Dyer is the reason that I went back to school in 1993 in the fall. And uh, that happened to be when we became roommates and I went on to graduate and do uh, what I was there to do. So if I've never said it, thank you. Uh, that's the kind of impact he's had on my life. So I don't know how he got me to come back to school, but he did. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he did. Praise the Lord. I'm going to get to Judges chapter 3, verse 31. I want to give you just a short history lesson. How many of you know that the uh, uh, most difficult part of any sermon when a preacher stands up is the first 10 minutes? All right. Now, if you are came here to be impressed, uh, this is as good as it gets. I'm sorry. I don't get any better looking as the day goes on. This is it. This is my ugly mug. You're just going to have to deal with it. If you can't, just close your eyes and pretend that I'm Rod Parsley. All right. But I want to give you this because this is important. I want you to hear what I'm going to say over the next 10 minutes before I get to Judges chapter 3. I want to talk for a moment about the history of Israel. How many of you know that history always repeats itself? History repeated itself in the history of Israel. They lived in a cycle. They would commit evil in the sight of the Lord. God would allow them to be oppressed by slavery and defeat. Then Israel would cry out to God for deliverance. He would send them a deliverer, and they would subsequently repent and return to serving the Lord. That cycle of Israel's history was perpetuated over and over and over. The book of Judges begins with yet another revolution of that cycle following the death of Joshua. Prior to his death, Joshua addressed Israel one last time in Joshua chapter 23. He called to their remembrance the victory God had given them over the nations and the peoples he had driven out of the promised land before them. He divided the remaining nations by lot to each tribe to be their inheritance. He promised them that as long as they obeyed the commandments of the Lord, he would continue to drive out the nations before them and even remove them from their very sight so that they may possess the land. This is what Joshua said in chapter 23, verse 6. He said, therefore, be very courageous. 
to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Remember those words because they're going to come back again. Joshua knew it was going to take courage for the people of God to keep his commandments and avoid distractions on the right hand and on the left when they didn't have Joshua to keep God's word ever before them. He knew because he likely began to reminisce about his own experience many years before when Moses' life was drawing to an end and he would become the successor responsible for leading God's people. Joshua remembered the day Moses laid his hands upon him and transferred the mantle of leadership to him. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 9 said, Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses laid his hands on him. Aren't you glad that the anointing has been passed down from generation to generation because of the power of the Holy Spirit? Joshua remembered that he needed courage the day the Lord commanded him to lead Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. When the people had just mourned the death of the man Moses who had led them out of captivity, the instructions that Joshua was now giving Israel bore a stark resemblance to God's instructions to him in Joshua chapter 1 verse 7 when God said only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you do not turn to the right hand do not turn to the left that you may prosper wherever you go Joshua needed courage for after all in the first chapter in the first verse of the book of Joshua he still perceived himself to do to be nothing more than Moses helper he did not regard himself with the age and the experience and the education and the wisdom and the anointing to fill the shoes of Moses he still regarded himself only as the servant of the leader of Israel, not the leader of Israel himself. There would be times when he would come upon a situation where he wasn't sure what to do. And in that moment, he would no doubt have the instinctive thought, I need to talk to Moses to find out what to do. But then he would quickly remember that Moses wasn't there anymore. He would have to learn how to listen to the voice of the Lord in the absence of Moses. I experienced this just a few weeks ago. On January the 11th, just a few weeks ago, my father went home to be with the Lord. My dad was the most godly man that I have ever known. I grew up watching him live out the gospel in the flesh. I remember so many times listening to my dad pray for his family. I remember having questions without answers, but without fail, my dad would speak with godly wisdom into my life. When dad left this world just a few short weeks ago with his family surrounding his hospital bed, I once again watched and listened as he prayed blessing upon his family, placing his feeble hand with assistance on the head of every one of his children and grandchildren that were in the room and praying blessing upon them. At one point, he was we were having a hard time understanding him when he talked because he was so weak. And at one point, he was speaking, and my mother couldn't understand what he was saying and she said sweetheart what are you saying suddenly it came to me daddy's speaking in tongues he went out of this world breathed his last breath praying in a heavenly language which he now knows fluently hallelujah 
There have been moments since that day that I've found myself thinking I need to call my daddy, only to suddenly remember he's no longer there. And in that moment, my heart sinks with the realization that I will never be able to seek my dad's counsel again. I've called his phone just to hear his voice on the voicemail. There is sorrow that comes in knowing he's never again going to answer that phone when I call. And I have a feeling that that's exactly how Joshua must have felt. When Moses was gone and now he is experiencing those same emotions, needing the advice of his spiritual father as much now as he did in days past. Joshua must have had moments of sorrow knowing that he would never again hear the voice of Moses in times of uncertainty. But in glorious fashion, God himself spoke to Joshua just as clearly as I'm speaking to you and gave him a promise that would carry him the rest of the way. In Joshua 1 and 5, God said to Joshua, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Aren't you glad for that promise this morning? Aren't you glad that even though that our loved ones and the spiritual giants that have come before have gone on to be with the Lord, that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and the same God that touched Moses and anointed Moses would come and anoint Joshua and the same God that anointed Joshua and raised him up to do mighty things in the kingdom would come upon the judges that came after him and down through generation after generation the same God in 2020 in this world is still moving upon those who will surrender themselves to him as Joshua looks back upon his life he can say with confidence that God kept his promise. Now he finds himself giving this final address to Israel, knowing they too will face distractions on the right hand and on the left. They too will have moments of uncertainty when they'll not be able to seek wisdom. Israel and their leaders that succeed him will need courage to walk in the commandments of the Lord so that his hand will be upon them as it was upon Moses, as it was upon Joshua. Judges chapter 2, verse 7, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done for Israel. Unfortunately, after that time, the perpetual cycle of self-destruction began yet another revolution. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 said that when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the work of the Lord, who did not know the Lord and the things that he had done for Israel. Here's where the rubber meets the road. I fear that day is upon us. The day when a generation has risen who does not know the Lord, who does not know his word, who does not know his promises, and does not know his mighty power. 
there's been a disconnect, a crack through which the emphasis on a genuine experience with the Holy God has fallen. It's not for lack of preaching. It's not for lack of wisdom. It's not for lack of understanding. It's not for lack of services or meetings. It's not for lack of structure. It is not for lack of buildings. It is not for lack of resources. It is not for rack lack of revelation. It's not for lack of opportunity or ingenuity or enthusiasm. The whole reason that we are losing a generation is because of the result of a lack of courage. We have all of the services that we need. We have all the anointing that it takes. We have all the ability and the knowledge and the programs and the know-how. What the church is lacking in this generation is courage. It takes courage to walk the narrow path that leads to life. It takes courage to keep your eyes on Jesus when there are distractions on the right hand and on the left. It takes courage to say no when everybody else is saying yes. It takes courage to stand up in a culture that bows the knee to idols of pride and greed and lust. It takes courage to speak what God has put in your mouth. It takes courage to declare to the giant, you may come to me with spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. It takes courage to be different. It takes courage to be unaccepted. It takes courage to be an outcast. It takes courage to be peculiar. It takes courage to pick yourself up after you've fallen. It takes courage to hold to your convictions. It takes courage to go against the flow. It takes courage not to conform to the ways of this world. It takes courage to trust God enough to defy the, defy the words and the opinions of man when they are not in alignment with God's word. What we need in this generation is a revival of courage. Men and women that will stand up and declare, I'm not afraid to be a child of God. I'm not afraid to stand up for my convictions. I'm not afraid to believe God to heal my body. I'm not afraid to declare a word that God himself will have to stand behind. I'm not afraid to hold up the blood-stained banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid afraid to be different in the crowd and refuse to conform to the same kinds of attitudes and mindsets and worldviews. I'm not afraid to declare, yes, I am a Christian in the day when it's not popular in culture, it's not popular in politics, and sometimes it's not even popular in the pew. But it takes courage to be able to stand up and say, yes, I identify with Jesus Christ, the one who came to this earth, lived his life with no sin, laid hands on the sick and they recovered, spoke life over those who were barren, gave his life on a cross, was placed in a grave, raised three days later, and ascended to the Father. Yes, I identify with the man Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession with for me with the Father, and I believe that, that what Jesus is praying is, Lord, give them courage. It takes courage for children and teenagers to walk into their school and stand up for Jesus. And sometimes standing up for Jesus doesn't necessarily mean putting a Bible under their shoulder and marching around. 
Sometimes standing up for Jesus simply means not laughing when people are making fun of those who are less fortunate. Sometimes standing up for Jesus means not cheating when everybody else is cheating. It means not going to that party or participating in that event just because everybody was doing it. It takes courage for our young people to go to school. It takes courage to go into the workplace. I'm going to tell you peer pressure doesn't stop when you leave school and you grow up. Peer pressure follows you into the workplace. Peer pressure follows you into the marketplace. It takes courage. When you walk into the workplace and everyone else is talking about their exploits of greed and lust, it takes courage to be a child of God and refuse to participate in the conversation. It takes courage. It takes courage as a pastor in the culture in which we're in, where social media literally, we used to talk about living in a glass house as pastors. Honey, now we live in a crystal ball. Because social media has made it such that nothing that you do is private. Well, maybe, maybe it would be if we'd stop putting it on Facebook. My God. I just felt a mean streak from the Holy Ghost right then. We live in a crystal ball. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach Tim Hill's message on handfuls of purpose. We live in a crystal ball in this society when pastors want to stand up for what the Word of God says is right and what is wrong, even he faces the possibility of persecution. Even he faces the possibility of the media smearing his name because he will not give in to the socially accepted norms of this day. It takes courage for a pastor to stand up and preach what thus saith the Lord. Now, I told you folks when I got up here, I thought it was going to be easy to preach. Y'all need to start helping me now. Am I saying anything that's the truth here this morning? We're going to have to learn how to be different. Nowhere in Scripture did Jesus ever tell us we were going to fit in. Nowhere. He said, I've called you to be a peculiar people. I'm not talking about the kind of peculiar that just makes you flat strange. Now, I've met some people as I've traveled this nation preaching. They're just flat. They're not peculiar. They're just strange. That's not the kind of peculiar I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of peculiar that you can tell somebody is not conformed to this world by looking at them. And I'm not talking about the length of their skirt or the length of their hair or their sleeves or whether or not their face or what. I'm not into legalism. I'm talking about when you look at them, you can tell because they don't have the same aura that other people have. They don't have the same attitude that other people have. There's something different about that person. There's an attraction to them that makes you want to be around them, not because of them, but because of the Holy Spirit that is glowing on the inside of them. You see their spirit before you see their physical man. 
That's the kind of peculiar that I'm talking about. I've come to tell you that you and I can no longer cower under the pew or in the four walls of the church afraid of what might happen if somebody finds out that we're a child of God. We have to have the courage of the Holy Ghost, the same courage that God told Joshua to have and the same courage that Joshua told the people to have. Be strong and very courageous. Do not turn to the right hand. Do not turn to the left, but stand up for my words and I will drive out your enemy before you. That came with a promise. I will drive you into your promised land. I will do the things that that I promise you that I'll do. I will bring healing into your house. I will cause the word that you taught your children to not leave them in the days of their youth. I will stand up for you if you will stand up for me. Oh God, give us courage, courage to do what's right, courage not to fail, courage to get up when we fall. Give us courage to be the kind of people that will walk in the power and the authority of God Almighty and give us courage to be world changers in this last day. Somebody give God praise in this place. If you're going to do that, you better turn it up, brother. You're going to have to give me some more mic down here. I don't know how you do it or how you have to do it, but I've, I've, I've just got over bronchitis, and the more I push myself, the worse it's going to hurt. We need courage. Are you hearing me? We need courage. You know, preaching down here, starting on the floor, leaves me at a disadvantage. Can I just be real with you? You know, because usually I start up here, because that's just, you know, pomp and circumstance. I start up here. And then, you know, when I get good and warmed up, how I let people know that I'm coming to your level is I come down off the platform. It's part of the act. Starting down here, you don't know when I'm all warmed up because I'm already here. It takes courage to be restored. You're not listening to what I'm saying. It takes courage to be healed. I'm just going to break it down for you, all right? Six years ago, I left the ministry. Went through the worst time of my life. Don't start giving me altar music, brother. This isn't the altar call yet. <laughs> I'm messing with him. I left the ministry. Went through a moral failure and divorce. Usually that's when everybody sucks the oxygen out of the room. I found myself at the bottom. You ever been at the bottom? One night, I came to myself sitting on the couch 
in a dark, empty house with a 40 caliber Glock sitting on the couch next to me. But you didn't know that, did you? And you see, that's, it's not strange for me to have a Glock because when I left the ministry, I went into law enforcement full-time. I had been, you know, involved in law enforcement for a long time as a chaplain and other things. But when I left the ministry, I went into law enforcement full-time. So it wasn't strange. What was strange is that I never touched it unless I was going to work. It was in the safe, but for some reason, I had pulled it out of the safe. It was laying on the couch next to me. I'm not really sure what I had intended to do. You can read into a lot, but this is what I know. The Holy Ghost came into that room. And the Holy Ghost said, I'm not through with you yet, Jeff Wolf. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what's happened. I don't care what history you have. I don't care what skeletons you've drug out of the closet. Come on. You can sit there and look at me self-righteous if you want to, but we've all been there. Every single one of us have been there. Some of you have been through things much, much, much worse than I've ever been through. But I'm telling you, there was a time and a day when I thought that everything about ministry for me was gone. I had been an evangelist. I had been a pastor for almost two decades. I had been a state youth director. I, I did everything that I wanted to do in ministry, given great opportunities in ministry. But I came to a place in my life where I had all I could take, and I threw it all away. And I'm going to tell you something. There were only a few people in my life that held on to me when everybody else let go. Thank God for those people. Thank God for those people who wouldn't let go of me when everybody else did. Thank God for those people who would call me and remind me who I was. Those people that would call me and tell me what God had created me to be. And because of that, God got a hold of me and he kept me. <laughs> Some of you are here today because God kept you. He kept you when the devil was trying to tear it all away. He kept you when you wanted just to lay down and quit. He kept you. He kept you. He kept you. And that's why you're still here today. And I'm going to tell you something. It took courage for me to be restored. It took courage for several reasons. Number one, I was going to have to stand up and I was going to have to admit that I needed restoration. It's hard for people to admit that they need restoration because we want to we want to put on a facade and a mask and a face so that everyone thinks we're okay. That we have all of our ducks in a row. That we have everything in place. There's nothing to worry about. I'm fine. God sees through every mask. He sees through every facade. And when you're telling everybody you're fine, God says, I know you're not. I know you're broken. I know you're hurting. I know that you are, you are literally exhausted emotionally. I know. My wife and I have a saying, I know what fine means. Because if I sense that she's, you know, the spirit of discernment, you got to have it in marriage. you got to have Come on, you married people, folks. 
Come on. You, how many of you know you got to have discernment in marriage? Because sometimes, ladies, you won't just tell us what's wrong. Now we have to start praying for discernment. I was bombarded with redheads in the pastor's office earlier. What I didn't tell them is I'm married to a redhead. And they stick together. I don't know if maybe she called ahead or something. I don't know. But being married to a redhead, I, the, the discernment kicks in, and I can tell something ain't right. I can tell just by talking to her. What's wrong? I'm fine. I know what I'm fine means. It means you're not fine. Let's just get rid of all this, and before this turns into an all-day discussion, let's just talk about it and get over it. How many of you know that we all walking around saying, I'm fine? Yeah. It takes courage to be restored. Courage to admit that you need restoration. Courage that you admit that there is brokenness in you, you don't know how to feel. It takes courage to say, yes, I've had all I can take. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know what the solution is. That takes courage. But, honey, if you'll have enough courage to stand up and declare to the Lord and everyone around you, it's in him that I live and move and have my being, and without him I am nothing. Oh, Lord, I need you to come down and sit in the place where I am, and I need you to speak healing over my life. Is there anybody here today that knows what I'm talking about? Now, let me get back to where I was going with this. Because of their lack of courage, Israel rebelled against the Lord. Not because they didn't have the knowledge, not because they didn't have the sermon, not because they weren't taught, but because of their lack of courage. They began to rebel against the Lord, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they didn't have the courage to keep the commandments of the Lord. They began to intermarry with the enemies that God was going to drive out of the land. They began to invite them to stay there. And they intermarried and they began to have children. And you could not tell where the lines and the lineage of Israel and the lineage of the enemy started or stopped. That's the place that we're in in the United States of America and around the world right now is that we have begun to interconnect with the culture who hates God. And instead of preaching the truth and having the courage to stand up and say no, we begin to turn our back and we begin to soften our voice and we begin to wink at those things which we have been taught by the Scripture are not pleasing to God. And the time has come when we've got to have courage. Judges chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges after the death of Joshua who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandment of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods and serving them and bowing down to them. 
Wow. So after the death of Joshua, God sent them judges. Of those judges who ruled Israel after the death of Joshua before a king was appointed was this judge by the name of Shamgar that I read to you at the very beginning in Judges chapter 3, verse 31. When do I need to be done? Give me 10 minutes. Can you do that? Shamgar is mentioned only once. Now, the name Shamgar is mentioned somewhere else in Scripture, but scholars believe it's not even the same person. So here is this judge in Judges chapter 3, verse 31. And all the Bible says about him is this, that he struck down a hundred Philistines with his own hands with an ox goad, and he delivered Israel. Wow. Think about that. How many of you know that takes courage for one man to stand against 600 of the enemy with nothing more than a primitive farm tool? Would you say that takes courage? Come on now. They say there's a fine line between courage and stupidity. Courage is knowing it's going to hurt and doing it anyway, and sometimes stupidity is the same thing. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. So either Shamgar was just completely crazy, or he was courageous knowing what he was fighting for and who he was fighting for. It must have taken great courage. And as he led people with no courage, he had to stand in courage. I, I often ask myself as I read this passage, I mean, first of all, he did a big thing. Why does he only get one verse? I don't understand it. He ought to at least get a whole chapter. I mean, I want details. But he only gets one verse. But think about the mighty courage he must have had. Where were the other people fighting? They didn't have the courage to fight the Philistines. They were too busy bowing down to Philistine gods, marrying Philistine women, and compromising the very law of God that they had promised they would uphold. Where were they? Sometimes, I'm going to tell you this as a pastor, sometimes pastors are trying to fight the devil in this cultural war that we are in, and they look around and they say, where's everybody else? But Shamgar did it by himself. My, what courage. My, what courage. You have, you have to understand that something happened here that is supernatural. Are you with me? I'm going to unpack this for you and I'm going to be done. Something happened here that was supernatural. Now let me ask you a question. And the question that I'm about to ask you is a rhetorical question. It does not require your response audibly or visibly or any other way. Do we have the disclaimer out of the way? Everybody understands I'm not looking for you to let me know what your answer is. Are you ready? Have you ever been in a fight? I don't mean spiritual warfare. I mean a fight. You ever been in a fight? Some of you are shaking your heads. I told you I don't want to know. 
Maybe somebody else picked the fight. I don't know. Maybe you're defending. I don't know. Outside of law enforcement, I was only in one fight. I was in grade school. You ever seen that series, Diary of a Wimpy Kid? That was me. I was a, I was a toothpick. I was so skinny, if I turned sideways and stuck my tongue out, it looked like a zipper. Some kid knocked me down, and I stayed there. That was the fight. It was over. I didn't even fight back. And somehow, I still ended up in the principal's office. I don't know how that happened. I prided myself. I went through all, all the way through elementary school, junior high, and high school. Never once got a detention. Yep, I was that kid. But I learned when I got involved in law enforcement, I had to teach myself to be confrontational. You ever watch live PD, cops, all that stuff's real, baby. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been in a few fights professionally, and I don't mean in the ring. And here's what I found out. It can be me against somebody about the size of your pastor. Come here. I'm just saying I'm tall. That's all I'm saying. I didn't say he was short. He said that. It could be somebody, my, me against somebody his size, and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Because you take somebody like this, thank you, sir, I won't make a fool of you anymore. You can take somebody like that and add drugs and alcohol and specific types of drugs, and suddenly they become the Incredible Hulk. Suddenly you are fighting ten men just by fighting one. I'm telling you, the last scuffle I had, case isn't even over. I got to go to court yet. This kid was about your size, and he was smoking marijuana with hallucinogens laced in it. And it was me and another officer, and we were trying to get this guy under control. It was like wrestling a pig in the mud is what it was. We both got injured, had to go to the hospital. Two on one. Of course, we ended that fight with a mechanical advantage. I don't know, the electricity of the Holy Ghost got a hold of him or something. The reason I tell that story is because I was up against one with help, and I couldn't get him under control. But Shamgar fought 600 men by himself. I can't imagine. You know, when I went through that ordeal just a couple of months ago, I'm retired now, by the way. January 17th was my last day I retired. Thank God. Glad I made it out alive. But when it happened, it was on a Sunday morning. While y'all were here worshiping the Lord at about 10 o'clock, I was getting my rear end kicked by this guy that was high. When it was all said and done, I, I banged up my knee. I had to go to the hospital. It was just minor, but I didn't tell my wife that when I called. I, I texted her. I said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm on my way to the hospital. I was in a fight. She calls me. She says, what happened? I said, I was hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know how it goes. What happened? I was in a fight. I got hurt. She said, do I need to come to the hospital? I said, yes, quickly. 
She comes running in the ER, and I'm just sitting in a chair waiting on her. But Shamgar fought 600 guys. All of them, I would presume, had weapons. And all he had was an ox goad. Man, what courage. And he whooped all of them with an ox goad. An ox goad was nothing more than a long pole with a sharp end on the edge of it so that when the oxen stopped or slowed down, you could reach forward and you could poke the oxen to get them to move. That's all it was. Just a long pole with a sharp edge. It was just a primitive farm tool. And that's what he used to defeat 600 Philistines and deliver Israel. Now think about this for a moment. What do you think Shamgar was doing that when he faced these Philistines, all he had was an ox goad? Maybe he was plowing. Maybe he was just out in the field going about his daily business, and he was just plowing the field. Walking along behind the plow with the ox goad in his hand, not expecting anything other than just a normal day, but suddenly something happened and he needed a weapon and he used all he had, which was an ox goad. I want you to get this. I want you to understand the cycle. I want you to understand that all Shamgar was doing was being faithful. He was just out in the field. It was just another day. It was just an ordinary course of events. He was just doing what was in his hand to do. And suddenly the enemy rose up. And he was confronted by 600 Philistines. But rather than running the other direction, I imagine Shamgar must have said to himself, you know what, I'm going to be here for such a time as this. I'm in this field for a reason. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to let them have this field. I've worked on this field too much. I've plowed too many hours in this field. I've reaped too much out of this field. I'm going to stand here flat-footed, and I'm going to trust God to help me, and I'm going to fight the devil with what I've got in my hand. Sometimes you have to understand that when the devil comes against you, he may just be after the field you're standing in. And you've got to have enough courage to say, devil, I'm not going to retreat. I'm nobody special, but I've got this ox goat in my hand. And I'm going to stand here and fight. It takes courage to fight the devil when he comes upon you in the most unexpected of circumstances. He didn't have time to cry. He didn't have time to pray. He didn't have time to call sister so-and-so and start a prayer chain. He didn't have time to gossip. He didn't have time to call the pastor and ask him what to do. All he knew to do was to stand there and fight. And when he did, something was added to his courage. What could have been added to Shamgar's courage in order to give him the power to destroy 600 men and deliver all Israel? I believe that when you come to God with courage, God infuses you with leverage. Uh, I'm going to need an extension on that 10 minutes. Leverage. How many of you know what leverage is? 
leverages mechanical advantage. The word literally means the action of a lever. Leverage allows you to accomplish more with less effort. Are y'all getting this? My daddy was a master plumber. Family business. When I was a kid, when my dad would have to get up from the supper table to go restore someone's heat or fix their water so they'd have water, he'd say, come on, son, let's go. We're going to work. And I watched my dad work on more times than I can count. One particular day, it was in the evening, and the boiler blew up at the Stewart Road Church of God in Mansfield, Ohio, where I'm from. Dad said, come on, son, we're going to the church, and we're not going to pray. We're going to fix the boiler. So we go to church. We go in the boiler room. I can remember the sights and the sounds and the smells. Water everywhere from where that boiler's a, a fitting in that boiler system had burst. Now, I was the gopher. I was the one that Dad would say, go out in my truck and get this tool. It's in this drawer on this shelf, you know, and about after the third try, I'd come back with the right one. He sent me after a pipe wrench. I said, what's that? <laughs> we didn't have Google back then. He had to describe it to me. I went out and got this pipe wrench. It was about as long as I was. Drug it in that boiler room. My dad, I wish I had it. I wish I had it with me right now. It was about that long. He took this pipe wrench. He had, he had identified the fitting in that boiler system that had malfunctioned. And he put the wrench on that fitting so that he could push downward to loosen it. And he pushed on that with all, I mean, he leaned into it with all of his might and his weight. And he couldn't get that fitting to move. It, the church had been built about 20 years prior. It had probably been the same thing that was installed when it was built. And it was rusted and it was just, it was seized up. Dad couldn't move it. And so he was looking around the room. And he pointed to a pipe over in the corner. He said, son, go get that pipe. It's about three feet long. I thought, what in the world are we going to do with this pipe? I go get the pipe. I hand it to my dad. And with he just left the pipe wrench locked on that fitting. And he took the pipe and he slid it down over the edge of that wrench handle. I said, dad, what are you going to do with that? He said, just watch, son. I'm going to teach you something. It's called leverage. And so he took that wrench and created a three foot longer handle two or three feet longer and he went out to the end of the pipe and he just began to lean on it and all of a sudden it popped and came unseized he was able to fix it what he couldn't do with all of his strength when he applied leverage he did with a fraction of strength I used that analogy at my dad's funeral. I preached all of my grandparents' funerals. My mom asked me if I wanted to preach dad's funeral. I said, I don't think I can. The morning of, the Lord just gave me a direct download. That's the only, know, the only way I know how to explain it. I called my mom. I said, 
you better tell the pastor I'm preaching the funeral today. And I got up. I called my son on the way to the church for the funeral. I called my son. He's 18. He, li- he was staying with, uh, with my mom at the house there. I said, Seth, go out in the garage next to Papa's truck and see if you can find a pipe wrench. He said, what's that? I said, Google it. He brought the pipe wrench, and that morning at my dad's funeral, I preached about my daddy's leverage outlasting his life. I've come to tell you that courage is necessary for you and I to be world changers in this last day. We can't do it hiding under a pew. We can't do it hiding behind doctrine. And when I say that, I mean just, you know, kind of cowering behind it and not declaring it. But courage is not enough. Courage must be met with leverage. That's what happened when Shamgar killed 600 Philistines and saved Israel with an ox goad. God put some leverage on the end of that ox goad. And while it might have been in Shamgar's hand, ultimately, God was on the other end of that ox goad. And God's the one that gave him the leverage when he stood up with courage and helped him to do with little effort what he couldn't have done with all of his effort. I've come to tell you this morning that if you will stand up with the courage God's given you, he will add Holy Ghost advantage to the end of your primitive weapons. You may feel like you don't have enough to defeat the devil, but I've come to tell you if you'll just use the weapon in your hand, God will be the leverage on the other end of that weapon that'll help you to stand up and defeat the enemy on every turn. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to hide. You don't have to retreat. You don't have to run away. All you have to do is stand up in courage and God will do the rest with his leverage. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet right now. Hallelujah. Now you're speaking my language. You know, you can't go every, everywhere and find a musician like that. Did you know that? For that reason, I carry one in my pocket. There's an app for that. Listen to this. You ready? If I'm somewhere where I don't have a good musician like that to talk back to me, I just pull out my phone, and if I say something I think is preachworthy, I just do this. Keeps going. I can even change keys. One more. I just like playing with it. If I want y'all to shout. There you go. I just had to show y'all I did really carry. I carry a band in my pocket just for things like this. Listen to me. God's going to bring restoration for some of you today. It's not going to take a long time. How many of you know that God doesn't need hours and hours to touch you? Sometimes all he needs is one step of courage. Listen to me. Some of you, you're still on the stand in the courtroom of heaven. 
and the devil is still letting you have it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The devil, the accuser of the brethren, the persecutor, the prosecutor, is still on the stand, or still got you on the stand, and he's still pounding away at you with your mistakes and your failures and your pain and your disease. You've got to learn. You've got to learn how to cross-examine the enemy. Are you with me? Proverbs 18, 17 says the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. <laughs> the devil always goes first. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. And he'll stand up in front of the Father and accuse you over and over and over. And guess what? It's not all lies. Sometimes he gets up and rehearses what you did. He gets up and rehearses before you with everybody watching in front of the Father. Don't forget, God, they did this and they did that. And this is in their past. And this is in their history. And this is what's going on. And it is so destructive to your morale and your spirit when the enemy is constantly in your ear trying to keep before you all of the things that you declare makes you unqualified to be blessed. That's why Proverbs said, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. How many of you know that you have the right to cross-examine the devil using the book of the law? When you start cross-examining the devil, it turns out that what he's saying may be true, but you've got mitigating circumstances. Oh, you're not listening to what I'm saying. When the devil stands up and says, God, this, this man, this man did a horrible thing. He sinned against you. Cross-examination sounds like this. Yeah, I know that I messed up, but doesn't the scripture say, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. <laughs> the persecutor says, Father, he's sick in his body. And the cross-examination sounds like this. I know I'm sick. I still feel it in my body. But doesn't the Bible say, if there be any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. Lay hands on them. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. Then the persecutor comes back and says, but God, their children are lost. And the cross-examination says, I know my children are lost, but doesn't the Bible say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You shall teach them, and when they are old, the word shall not depart from them. You've got to learn how to cross-examine the devil using the word of God. Everything the devil says in accusation 
can be defeated by cross-examining him with the scripture. And pretty soon, God the Father bangs the gavel and says, case closed, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask somebody to have courage. We're going to pray, and that's going to be it. I want you to hang with me. I know it's 1230. By the way, when I'm done here, I'm going to be back over here in this corner. I, in the video I said foyer, but that video was made weeks ago. So I'm going to be over here. I want you to come and see me. I'll talk about that book here in just a moment, just a little more. But I'm going to ask you to have great courage right now. I'm going to ask you to have the courage that if you're in this room and you need restoration, I'm going to ask you to have the courage to raise your hand up high in just a moment. It takes courage, remember? It takes courage. You've got to know that you're among family. There's nobody here to persecute you. And if they are, God help them. There's nobody here to look down their nose at you or point their finger at you. We're all, listen, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, my friend. Nobody stands any higher than you. If you need restoration and you're going today, say, I've got the courage to admit it and the courage to get free. If that's you, I want you to shoot your hand up right where you're standing right now. Come on. Come on. Look at that. If you've got your hand lifted, make one more step. Get out of your seat. Come and meet me at this altar right now. Come on. My Lord and my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Restoration is what turns your mess into your message. Did you know that? Restoration is the additive to the equation that causes you to go from ministering in your pain to ministering out of your pain. How many of you know that pain is useful? God will allow you to go through pain not to kill you, but to build you so that out of your pain you can minister to somebody else who's going to go through it. Are you listening? But in order for you to go from ministering in your pain, which is burnout, to ministering out of your pain, you have to go through restoration. That's the key. That's the key that gets put in the ignition and turned and changes the trajectory of what happened in your life. If you don't get restoration, you go through your entire life beating yourself up over it. But once God restores you, you'll thank God for what happened and what he did for you every step of the way. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Raise your hands all over the sanctuary this morning. Would you do it? Raise your hands. I want you to begin to pray for restoration to fall in this house right now. Maybe you're in the pew and you still didn't have enough courage to get out of your seat. Maybe you raised your hand, but you didn't have enough to come up to your seat, uh, out of your seat up to the altar. 
May God restore you right where you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm believing that when you folks walk out of here today, something's going to be different. And you may not be able to put a finger on it. You may not be able to nail it down, but you will notice that something has changed in your heart. I believe it, I declare it, and I speak it in the name of Jesus. I declare restoration over every child of God. Lord, you are going to turn our pain into our purpose. We declare it, Father. We declare it. We call it done. We call those things that are not as though they were. Hallelujah. Lord, it takes courage to stand up and say it is when I don't see it yet. It takes courage to declare that I sense it in the atmosphere when I haven't seen it with my eyes. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. We declare restoration over every heart, over every life right now in Jesus' name. Do the work. Father, do the work that causes our pain to become our purpose. Do the work, Father. Begin to pour out your Holy Spirit in this room and do a work that no one else can do. Father, meet our courage with your leverage and do something powerful in this place that we will not soon recover from. Hallelujah. Bless the name of Jesus. Father, I stand in agreement with every child of God in this room that is seeking the, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Folks, lift your hands in this place and give God praise. Give God praise, give God praise, give God praise. Look up here at me for a second. Two reasons why that went that quickly. Number one, I just got over bronchitis. I just finished 10 days of antibiotics, so I don't want to spread too many germs if I don't have to. Number two, I told you it doesn't take but a touch. Just a point of contact. That's all it is. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Look up here at me and hear what I'm about to say. Part of your restoration is about three little words. Are you ready? I'm getting ready to drop a bomb on you. Three words. Let it go. Let it go. That's where the transformation comes in your restoration. From whatever it is that's been imprisoning you in your spirit. That thing, that event that happened in your life that's had you bound up in pain. When you give it to God like you just did, then you have to let it go. Come on, everybody say it. Let it go. Let it go. Once you let it go, don't ever pick it up again. Let the Lord take care of it. But preacher, you don't know what that person said about me. Let it go. Let the Lord worry about it. But you don't know about the abuse that I went through. Let it go. Let the Lord heal you. Let him turn that pain into a purpose. Don't be imprisoned by the pain that you're in. Hallelujah. Now, if you believe that I've told you the truth and you're going to walk in it, I want everybody in this place one more time to shoot your hands in the air and give God a shout of praise and declare, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Listen to me. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I apologize for preaching longer than I intended. Sometimes you can't abbreviate when God gives you a word. Whew, I'm getting lightheaded standing up here. This is hot. Thank you so much. Pastor, I believe God gave a word here today that's important. I believe those of you that are standing in this altar, if I came for no other reason than for you, then it was worth it all. And it's been my privilege being here. Let me tell you about this ministry that I started, Resurgence. When God restored me 